What's up, guys? Welcome back to the crypto economy. Today, we're going to have a chat episode. Uh, I went on John Vallis's show, uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire, uh, which is a new podcast, and uh, I was actually not exposed to this until he contacted me. Uh, but we just had an absolute blast. So I actually I wanted to repost and share this uh, here on our feed um, so that you guys could hear it. And I'm just going to let him lead us through his intro and everything so he can uh, preface the conversation for you. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right into our chat with John Vallis. What's up, people? This is the Further Discussion episode with Guy Swan. Um, Guy is the host and creator of the Crypto Economy podcast in which he takes all of the phenomenal writing that's emerging in the space these days from all the great thinkers, um, you know, creators, builders, hodlers in the space, and he converts them to audio format by dictating them, by narrating them uh, on his podcast. So uh, I came across Guy, thought he did an exceptionally good job um, on his podcast, really wanted to just speak with him, pick his brain a little bit, and, uh, and have a general discussion. So that is this. If you want to hear the rapid-fire portion where I ask uh, guide the the set of typical rapid fire questions then you can download that episode as well anyways that's it enjoy let's do it how you doing <laughs> <laughs> pretty good pretty good you got a busy day on your hands yeah a little bit a little bit but not too shabby you just said in your message Can't that complain. you're doing eight hours of recording today yeah, I think I'm going to be doing this pretty much all night. What will that all is that all for crypto economy or is, are you doing other stuff as well? Uh, I'll probably today's episode I can probably wrap up in like two and a half, maybe three hours. Um, but uh, I'm doing a uh, audio book. The have you seen the little Bitcoin book? Uh, yes, just yep, came out. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the audio book for that, um, and uh, I'm also working on one that will be part of the show, but it's a pretty lengthy piece and I've been needing to uh, basically space it out over five or six days to actually get it done. That's wild, man. Yeah. So, so crypto economy and related activities is full time for you? Oh yeah, it's, uh, I ain't got time for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. Uh, you know, I, I've been doing this kind of stuff as a hobby for a long time and and I heard a few other podcasters talk about it recently, but it's, you know, if you're just listening, you're like, oh, sweet, you know, another conversation between people that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm people that on subject matter that I'm interested in having a conversation. But, you know, and uh -huh. I, I don't, it's not a complaint at all because I love it, but there is so much work that goes on behind the scenes just to put out those, you know, episodes on a daily or weekly basis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I love it, like, to some extent because, like, I know it's kind of what I would do with my time anyway. Like, I find myself, even when I'm like, all right, I'm going to take a break for a minute. Like, I'll go and, like, try to watch something on Netflix or whatever. And it's, like, not that great a show. Or, like, I try to go dabble in something else. And then I find myself just sitting down and be like, let me read Nick Carter's new article. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I'm doing the same shit anyway. And so I end up spending my time doing that anyway. It's so, so funny, man. I mean, we'll we'll break into you know, the behavior change component of Bitcoin that is, I mean, I've been talking about a ton lately and it's, it's permeating the, the culture. But, you know, it's funny. I have the same thing, you know, I'll, I'll sit down with my girl and we'll try to find something on Netflix. And, 
you know, I'll be I'll be flipping through for like 20 minutes because I'm like, there's nothing here that's really pulling me. And, you know, ultimately, I'd be like, I'd really rather spend the time reading, you know, an article or enhancing my knowledge in some area yeah. of this whole thing. And and that's an amazing thing. I still haven't finished thing. Sovereign Individual. You want to sit down and read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like anything that can be mutually shared, you're trying to like, why don't we listen? Why don't we watch this? Why don't I put on this YouTube video of a how-to for Wasabi Wallet? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know? And her wife is like, "What? What?" Yeah. Oh, it's no. my, my my girlfriend's like, "Yeah, no. Why don't Why don't we just watch a movie instead?" And I'm like, "All right, fine." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but man, for, before we get going, or you know, before we go further, um, I just want to let you know I came. So I. I Spoke with um, their Gigi. Gigi, I don't know how he, he likes to be called, but I, I had yeah. did, a, did a chat with him a week or two ago. And in preparation for that, I listened to the interview you did with he and Brandon. And oh, okay. yeah, I'll, be, yeah. I'll be speaking with Brandon at the end of the month. Really looking forward to that because we're both kind of microphiles and obviously you know, super interested in Bitcoin. So it should, be, mm-hmm. should make for an interesting discussion. But that's how I got my first introduction to you. And I haven't been... To you know, th- this year was kind of my first. I've been into Bitcoin for a long time, but I just it was mm-hmm. kind of on the shelf, back of my mind, kind of running in the background, and so I hadn't really gotten into the Bitcoin podcast universe up until this year. And yeah. uh, you know, there's no no disrespect intended, but I like yours wasn't one of the first that popped up when I started going down that that rabbit hole, you know. And oh, no, that's fine. I'm still, I'm still like way in. I'm, I'm surprised how much I'm actually popping up now because I've been like this little niche corner for a long time and it feels like I'm actually breaking out of that, which well, is well, actually really exciting. I bet it is, man. And I want to talk about that too, but th- this, that's actually the point I want to get to. You know, I, I've listened to pretty much all of them, some more than others. And I listened to the one with uh, yourself and Brandon and Gigi. And honestly, man, I was blown away. Like I, I thought that your I just, I thought you did it better than anybody else that I'd come across, just in terms of delivery, in terms of, yeah, in terms of your knowledge on the subject and the way you can infuse a conversation with that knowledge, but also extract it from the guest. I mean, I just, I I was blown away. And so subsequent to that, I, I downloaded a bunch of your, uh, your episodes and have been listening to them in preparation for this. And just because they're, they're so great. And even to, you know, even tonight, um, you know, while we were at the grocery store, in fact, I had my earbuds in and I was I was listening. It's so funny you can you can uh, uh, consume content that way these days. But no, I know it's so awesome. <laughs> um, I was listening to the dictation or however you call them. You were reading Gigi's mm-hmm. most recent article. I think was it on the sovereign individual? Is that it? Yes. Yeah. 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 The rise of the sovereign individual. Right. That's right. Yeah. And so that was fucking awesome. I mean. And then, your, and then, you, and then you. your then your commentary afterwards, you know, you were so you were so kind of wrapped up in it, and I, you know, I was yeah. totally, you know, with you the whole way. <laughs> and then at the end, you were like, "Ooh, I really got worked up on that one." <laughs> I just laughed out loud because I thought it was, you know, I thought it was so great. So I just wanted to give you a kudos on on uh, the work that you've put in. I think you're doing a spectacular job, and like you said, now it seems like you're starting to get more. Uh, awareness and recognition and stuff. And I think that's awesome, man. So, you know, just keep it up. That's fantastic, dude. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. And it's hard to get like, like I know, like I'll see numbers of like people listening to the show, but for so much of the time, and there's been this recent explosion 
in the last literally like the week have gone like 300, 400 followers. Um, and, uh, like people are actually giving feedback. It's like, Oh yeah, I like the crypto economy. It's like, Oh, you guys are out there. Like, Cause it's been just numbers in front. Like, like I said, uh, I'll spend eight hours just sitting in front of my computer and it's just me talking to my screen. Yeah. So like, I forget that like other people are actually out there listening. So it's, it's, it's really awesome well, to hear your response to it. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm super excited for, for you to do more. I love that your format is obviously is, is different, but it's so hugely valuable because there is so much great content, written content coming out now by all these great thinkers in the space. And when they come out, they get spread like wildfire on Twitter, but you know, people are busy and you don't always have time mm -hmm. to, to read every single one and you converting it into a medium that's more, you can more, more passively consumable is just a tremendous value to, to the content and to the industry. So yeah, man, I, I think, uh, I think you're probably going to keep uh keep blowing up <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i appreciate it um and i the last question about that and i'll stop you know pumping i'll stop pumping up after that but do you <laughs> like did you ever do formal voiceover work or anything like that no this is my uh uh first foray into that what's funny is this really actually started because um i've been reading stuff to my wife out loud like we'll read books together and like I would sit down and read it out loud and I'd do the voices and you know do all that stuff and she would just love it and That's it would awesome. allow her to like just like I'm gonna clean the room right now and listen to my book and like we would read a book together read like the name of the wind the Mistborn series um couple of nonfiction things but she likes the fantasy stuff with me um and she uh, likes the romantic stuff with you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so it kind of, it kind of started from that and it, something that stuck in my mind was when we hired our, uh, uh, we hired somebody that was really, really great for our wedding. Like he wasn't like a DJ. He was kind of a organized people, like let's build an environment. And like, like it wasn't like somebody who was just like picking music. Like he literally, like we kind of took from him to be like our wedding planner. And we had like a party. We had a fantastic time because he was great at knowing when to let the crowd sit down for a minute, how to build them up over like 40 minutes with a, a song for the seventies to eighties crew, the nineties. I mean, like it, it, he broke it down to a science of getting people worked up into a damn good time. Man, you got to na name it. drop this guy, get, you know, give him some love. <laughs> uh, it's Fox. Um, his, uh, uh, his, oh Jesus. I'll look show, up I'll if you're actually notes. curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're actually curious, I'll uh, uh, I'll find his information because he's amazing. Um, but we ended up chatting back and forth. We just ended up bullshitting for like two hours, um, and he randomly told me, "He's like, dude, you've got a great radio voice." Because he did a radio show, and I was like, "Really?" And uh, and we kind of talked back and forth about that. And I don't know. That always stuck with me. That like maybe a maybe I could do a podcast. Like maybe. And that like kind of, I, I guess you could say festered, <laughs> like it grew and like slowly spread into my mind for like six years in Bitcoin. Like you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast guy. Come on, <laughs> let's do a podcast. And then finally I broke down like a year and a half ago and I was like, I'm just going to start it. That's, that's awesome, it. man. Well, I mean, yeah. my dad used to tell me I had a great face for radio. So uh, that's the most <laughs> encouragement I ever got. <laughs> 
No, but you sound you sound like you've uh, you're a professional, man. Like you you sound like a an audible audiobook to, you know person. It's 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 incredible. So just as John was finishing up inflating my ego to unhealthy proportions, my power went out and shut down my whole system. So to give you the sense of that frustrating pause, we're going to take a quick break and hit our sponsor. Let's try this again. <laughs> so I, I learned something. I literally, literally cannot be a more beautiful day outside. There is no breeze. There is nothing. And the power just blinked off for like a good solid second and a half. And then came right back. And just shut everything and down. I, shut everything down. Strange. Whatever. Yeah, it, it was one of those situations yeah. where I went on talking for like 20 seconds. And then I was like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody there? Um, all right. So we'll, we'll get back on track. But uh, why don't we just start with just kind of your story, how you got, uh, became aware of, begotten, and became involved in, in Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Are we recording right now? Yep. Okay, sweet. Um, uh, so I've been in Bitcoin for, I don't know, eight years now. Um, uh -huh. I think that's right. I keep saying eight years. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so sometime in like early 2011-ish. And um, it, was during, it was during the bubble. It was crazy, like right when I got in. Because um, uh, my brother and I, my brother majored in economics. So... He would, uh, he was at school at the time, in school at the time and he would come home and I was kind of in like this, this spot in my life where I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do. Um, I was doing, like, I've always loved film. That was actually like my first love at the time. And, uh, I was doing a film business and doing like wedding videos. That's the only like consistent work and then little commercials and like side gigs and stuff like that. But it was just kind of like a casual, like get by thing. And I found so much of my time was just my brother and I debating Austrian economics. Really? Um, we were kind of going down that. Yeah. And I, awesome. I was going down that rabbit hole and like kind of discovering like the idea of like the Liberty philosophy and stuff in, in a way I had not been exposed to it before. And Austrian economics just made so much sense to us as we finally started to stumble upon it. And so it was like, wait, what is the Federal Reserve exactly? And he would just come back from his economics class where he just learned nothing but Keynesian, Keynesian, Keynesian. And, and you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. And he would be arguing with his professors. He's like, what you taught us last week does not line up with what we learned today. Like those, both of those things can't exist at the same time. And they'd be like, that's what the book says. <laughs> and like they would go back and forth. And then we'd come home and uh, – you know, just debate back and forth about it for hours. And then finally one night randomly he was like chatting with some some like hacker like 4chan-ish like kind of dark web friend on the internet. And the guy was like, you know, you'd probably be interested in this thing called Bitcoin. And uh was like, the, what the hell was that? And then he came home and was all excited to tell me about it. And that night it was like it was like a light switch. Like we were in the we were hit really been discussing for like the weeks leading up to that kind of the the liberating power of the internet austrian economic theory um and i've always been like a big tech nerd so it was like this trifecta of like like leading me all the way to bitcoin from everything that i had been doing at the time and we were down the rabbit hole that night uh we didn't 
I remember like just kind of laughing because we like read the white paper. We were we were just absolutely like engrossed from the first moment. And it was nine o'clock the next morning and the sun was up and we were like, holy crap, we got to go to bed. We had just been we had just Bitcoin nosedive down the rabbit hole the very first night. And it was during the that early bubble where it went from like uh, uh, like a dollar to thirty three dollars. Um, and, and it did it in like, like two weeks or something like that, two or three weeks. It was so fast. And we, I proceeded to, uh, make my first investment ever. <laughs> like uh, this was my foray into, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a long-term investment. This is going to be great. I'm going to be an investor. And I bought Bitcoin at the absolute tippity top <laughs> of the FOMO peak and then proceeded to watch all of my money bleed for like months and months until it was practically non-existent. And I had to basically stop and like realize to myself that I, uh, I didn't know what I had invested in. Like I had this vague idea of what Bitcoin was and it sounded really cool on the surface. It sounded really powerful and like a fascinating technology, but I didn't really know. You know, it was just it was just like that u- utopian idea of a decentralized currency. And I just started reading. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm either going to sell out and just claim that I've made the dumbest mistake of my entire life. And or I'm going to but I'm going to know I'm going to know that either I made a mistake um, or I'm going to know that this is just early. Uh, you know, this was a hype cycle and this is a real technology that's going to make a difference. And I started reading and being like, I'm going to be able to explain this to anyone. And I haven't stopped reading since like it, the, the more I learned about it, the more I was like, no, I'm just early. This thing is incredible and it makes perfect sense. I couldn't figure out a way to kill it. Like the more and more I read about it and then Six years later, I was after debating with myself to start a podcast for, I don't know, it seemed like the whole time. Um, I finally just broke down one day and I was like, what, there couldn't be anything easier than, uh, like I wanted the audio for all of the articles out there. Right. Because like I said, I've been reading for months and months and months. I'm like, man, I could read so many more of these if I just had these all in audio and waited really for like years to be like, somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to do this. And I just sat down on my bed one day talking into my iPhone, just holding my iPhone up to my face and uh, reading it on my wife's iPad. And that was the first episode. And then I just didn't stop. Oh, and that was man. like a year and a half ago. Yeah. That is so sick. I have, I have a bunch of questions. Um, Okay, so when when one because one of the things that I'm intrigued by because I had I was aware of Bitcoin at because I, I remember when it, be, it it reached parity with the U.S. dollar and there was a bunch of kerfuffle about that, um, yeah. and I was sounds like in a very similar situation like the Federal Reserve the current monetary system is a bunch of you know crooks and it do, doesn't make any sense and we need to go back to something and you know I was into gold and silver you know you know that whole shtick oh, and. Yeah. I mean, there's probably many reasons why we initially look past Bitcoin. For me, it was probably one, and um, my own insecurity about my non-techiness, which prohibited me 
from not diving further into the tech and thinking I won't be able to understand it anyways. So yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's part of it. Then the other part is thinking, well, something so small and nascent could never challenge such a gargantuan system or could never be a better counter to that gargantuan system than something like gold because, you know, it's just so small and tiny. And I guess mm -hmm. I lacked the, the foresight to be able to say like, well, if it can survive and if it cannot be stopped and people continue to see it playing such a role, then over time it will grow and grow and grow. That was just, I, I, I didn't, wasn't looking at it in that way. And so as a result, mm -hmm. I had to, and the th I was intellectually curious about it. That's the thing. And I think, and I started interviewing people around it in 2015. Uh -huh. And I think my issue was. Oh, about 2015? Yeah. Yeah, it, oh, like wow. just as a hobby. This podcast was started mm -hmm. this, this month, but I was interviewing, I was living in Shanghai and Bobby Lee lived there. So I interviewed him at first. And then whenever I had the opportunity to connect with people, I was just so intellectually interested in it. But for some reason, I, I was like interested in it like a journalist rather than someone who's going to act on the interest, which I hate because that's, uh -huh. not, my, that's not how I've approached <laughs> anything in the past. Anyways, yeah. my, my long-winded question here is, you know, I get that you guys were having these debates and then it popped up and you got into it. But what made you think that it was unique? Like what made you think that this wasn't just internet funny money that someone dreamt up and it's, you know, that, that you'd have any degree of, of long-term thinking around its survival and, and the potential for an investment? Uh, the economics. And I was a combination of economics and then I was there at the beginning of BitTorrent. Um, and like the combination of those things, the, the fact that, uh, what Bitcoin was as a money was essentially an Austrian economic theory and, or, or ex excuse me, experiment. It was, how do we codify like the Austrian theory of sound money and then make it in a distributed fashion? How do we make it like BitTorrent? And I saw, you know, I would see like them trying to shut down the pirate bay and, uh, like all the fights and stuff like I, I followed the BitTorrent stuff very closely because that was another like thing that just fascinated me as a technology and Bitcoin was like the perfect marriage of those two things and those were the first two things that like just made me go like wow this is actually this is actually really powerful um that that incentive structure like in reading the white paper of like the miners keep it secure the the everybody running the software is checking the accounting like it is basically a fully fully auditing the system it was like i was like this is straight up a distributed federal reserve and i just thought the the concept was fascinating and i always felt like the internet had to eventually like when i looked at the grand picture of the internet as it disrupted each of these huge industries and just flipped what we thought of as the norm and these 70 year old, hundred year old companies would just be like, Oh, poof. And you know, they'd be gone and they're no longer the dominant in their field. They're no longer the dominant publisher. They're no longer the dominant media production companies. Like I've been, I was watching this huge transition of the internet and this digital age. And in fact, I just did a guy's take episode kind of about that whole concept. Um, and, yeah, I listened uh, to it. the eight, the eight steps. Oh, did you? Yeah, the the seven Seventh, like disruptions yeah, so, of the yeah. digital age. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Um, and then like Bitcoin just fits so beautifully into that 
that idea that I had just been kind of slowly building in my head that seemed to be the natural progression of things. Right. And it was like, even if it's not Bitcoin specifically, like I, I was realizing that I was waiting for something like that. Like, like that just seemed to be the next piece of the puzzle to really, to, to be that next shift in like the kind of digital era, right. I guess you could say. And so when it, you invested and then it crashed, did you panic sell or did you hold strong? Hoddle strong. I, uh, I explained to my, or I uh, committed to myself that I wouldn't make a decision because I got in out of ignorance and just FOMO and just the general, the vague idea of it. I decided that I wasn't going to get out. I wasn't going to sell unless I knew every piece of, unless I knew it so, so thoroughly that I could explain to you why it wasn't going to work. And so, uh, I never got to that point. Nice. So I, I still have, I think, I think I still have coins actually from those days, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Uh, but I, I, I basically held, well, I've had some sad disasters along the way, <laughs> but, um, uh, but I did not sell. No. <laughs> okay. So that, that happened then. And you, you know, a year and a half ago, got into the podcast and started, you mm -hmm. know, making this your, your full-time thing. What were the intervening years like, you know, you, you, cause presumably if you got it that early, you recognize the problem, you saw Bitcoin as, as the solution to that problem. I mean, it must've been incredibly exciting, incredibly like, Oh yeah. Incredibly hopeful. All the things that many, many people are feeling now, but you know, first of all, there wasn't near as much, mainstream or whatever you want to call the current attention that's on on bitcoin so kind of like what was it like kind of having seen the light or knowing the secret prior to many other people knowing it and how did you kind of you know what was your approach to life and how, how did it evolve over the intervening years well it was it was a lot of excitement early on just in the idea that like i felt like i had found this kind of diamond in the rough sort of thing. Uh, but it also felt very unreal. It felt like this, this dream that I hoped would happen, but it was not a part of anyone's reality. Like, like I couldn't say the word Bitcoin and I mean, no one would have any idea. I remember actually the first time Reddit blew up about there being a news report that mentioned Bitcoin as a thing. And there was the, uh, because it was, I think it was Gawker, I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly who, but there was the big piece on the Silk Road. That was right around the time that I found it. And that was like one of the first times that it was ever really mentioned in, I guess you could say the mainstream. And, uh, so like, it was just, it was just the biggest news ever that someone even spoke about it somewhere in the mainstream. And, uh, I remember I was telling people about it and people like, like my friends and stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to, come to terms with like, okay, they're just going to think this is stupid magic internet points. And like, I need to be very reserved about the way I talk about it. Like, or I'm going to be, I'm going to sound like a absolute psycho. <laughs> and so I was, I was trying to, trying to ease all my friends into the idea and stuff. But then every once in a while, one of them would be like, I heard about that Bitcoin thing. Is that what it was that you were telling me about? I'm t I so heard that about uh, about that on the news or something the other day, and I was like, "Yes, it's it's <laughs> spreading." <laughs> and 
it was it was really <laughs> surreal to because the the space was tiny. Like you could know everyone in Bitcoin back then. Like it was just it was a Reddit community of like I don't know. Like I guess the subreddit maybe had like ten thousand people in it at the time. I, I can't remember, but it just felt tiny. Yeah, felt like this little corner of the world that nobody knew about. And it was just crazy to slowly see it seep out into the mainstream until one day I was just like, yeah, CNBC talks about it like every day. And it was like, oh, holy crap. Like, how far have we come from that point? It was like such a gradual transition. And obviously, those big hype cycles made a huge difference. But there were so many little moments like that where it was like, you would just see it somewhere. And it's like, that's right. Bitcoin is real. It actually exists in the real world and people are hearing about it crazy. and finding out about it. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. And, and what was it like to go through each of those respective hype cycles? Both the, you know, the crazy run-ups where, you know, you're realizing all the things you tend to realize when you you hold a rapidly appreciating asset and then the the steep fall-offs and then and then having seen a couple of them begin to understand like, oh, this is how it this thing is growing, you know, how has your perspective on those elements of it changed? I, I remember particularly in the second major a bubble because, well, really the second one, the 2013 one kind of happened in two stages. Right. So we had like kind of a mini bear market there for a little while um, before that second huge run. And uh, the 2014, 15 and 16, like that, that bear market. 2016 wasn't really a bear market, but it was mostly flat and sideways and towards until the end of the year when we started to grow. That was rough. That was really rough. Um, in fact, because there was more money on the line, essentially, um, and every time the hype cycle happened, I, I got caught up in it. Like I was like, this is it. Hyper Bitcoinization. Right. <laughs> Taking over the world tomorrow morning. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then, and then the crash would happen and then I would slowly be like, okay, okay. Yeah. Like we're way too early. What am I talking about? Everybody's yeah. still using the core wallet. Like nobody's going to use this thing yet. Um, realizing that just so much more development had to happen. I'm trying to temper, temper myself. This one was way easier. The 2017 collapse was just like, okay, this is business as usual. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're four, four crashes into this. And the bloodiest one was definitely the first one. I thought I had lost everything right. um and uh i've had a couple of scares of thinking i deleted keys so my uh i guess you could say my skin has thickened quite a bit right. in the realm of like all these price swings and problems with transactions or anything any kind of issue or whatever it's just like okay i've been here before right take and, a breather and i'm we'll sure, get it sorted out i'm sure also the fact that you know being someone the more hype cycles you survive, not just do you get used to the emotional jostling of that, but also mm -hmm. the lows coming off the highs are much higher than the previous lows, right? So if you, yes. if you were in like yes. two or three hype cycles before, you're like, oh, I'm so sad. It's down at $3,000. <laughs> <laughs> this is so terrible. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, do, you, do you try to, you know, having had that kind of perspective. Do you try to trade at all? Um, sort of with a tiny amount, like 
I try to, I mostly do it just for fun. Like I think of it as gambling. Um, I did try to play the, uh, 2017 altcoin casinos. Um, and, uh, I mostly got punished for it. Um, and then felt really, really stupid afterward, particularly when, like I knew, I remember my biggest problem was I was trying to buy on fundamentals when it came to altcoins, like some project that I actually thought was interesting instead of the hype when I kind of knew in the back of my mind that it didn't make any sense to try to make a competitor. Like like I knew the Austrian theory and the idea of money's 10 to 1, but I just wanted to be like, maybe there's a use for blockchain. Right. Like maybe somebody's going to figure something out. So I'll do the ones where the people seem serious, but those were the ones with no marketing. So I bought like, the crappiest in the terms of like the gambling aspect of it. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I feel like everybody got caught up in that. For sure, uh, man. This uh, one of my, yeah. one of the questions I ask in the rapid fire portion of this podcast is, have you ever bought altcoins and will you do so again in the future? And the reason why, one of the reasons why I do that is because, you know, everyone feels dumb for having gotten caught up in that, but it's a special individual who's not going to try to chase a like a hundred X in a month sort of return, right? Like you got to be <laughs> really special to not put even, you know, a little tiny bit in that to play, play the game. So I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't beat yourself up too much because every, everyone I've had on thus far, their answer has been yes. They, even the hardest core yeah. Bitcoiners that you know, they, they got caught up in it. So <laughs> You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. But you are right on that point you mentioned, or at least I think you are, in that, you know, all these, all these projects and coins are emerging and they're saying, like, we do faster transactions, we have better privacy, or we have this and that. And my, my thinking now is always just, yeah, but what are you transacting? The thing is, is that you have mm-hmm. to be established as mm-hmm. money first before it matters if it's fast, if it's private, if it's anything. And if you don't have that as a foundation, then who gives a shit if you can do a 10,000 transactions a second? Because what you're transacting is nothing. Yeah, yeah. 10,000 transactions per second of something that can't hold value. Right, exactly. Like, great. (laughs) So, you know, Bitcoin may not be perfect, but that's the process of, of the evolution, focusing on the most important attributes first. And then as time goes on and as those attributes become solidified, working on making it, you know, better in other categories. But you can't just hop to that other category and be like, well, we can make something go 10 times faster or 10 times more private. It's like, well, yeah, but nobody, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and uh, there's a, actually Parker Lewis has a great article on this. Um, it was actually very recent. The Bitcoin can't be copied. Um, it's in his Gradually Then Suddenly series. Um, and uh, he makes a couple of great points. And uh, I kind of ranted about it for like 30 minutes afterward um on i love your rants like because (laughs) (laughs) thank you um because it is a token that's specific to like that network it is it is one that is only there for exchange um and you know like you said like it's all about like how many transactions per second we can get it's like again but what are you trying to exchange because it's purely digital and it cannot have another utility it must compete with Bitcoin as money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter if you call it a utility token or a smart contract platform. The token itself to hold value must compete as money with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's attributes in money are not simply part of its code. It's it's a growing process. It's a maturation process where like when Satoshi and Hal were running the client, 
it was not secure, decentralized money. There were two clients. They could have easily completely changed the rules. There was no security in the 21 million limit. It, it had to develop over time with, you know, bugs that got fixed with extending into all these other jurisdictions, thousands and thousands of nodes, the conflict between multiple clients and developers so that it was obvious that hard forks simply weren't going to happen because it wasn't part of how the ecosystem developed. I, and uh, I, uh, I gave an analogy that like money, it has a specific role and it does, it solves a specific problem in society. It's the double coincidence of wants and the ability to um, get saleability or carry value across um, multiple spaces, uh, across time from today to a year from now, and then um, across scales so that I can you know, use it in tiny, tiny fractions and use it in like huge amounts. And it's still the same good. It's, it's, it's worth, worth the uh, relative amount based on its uh, scale. And because of that, it has to be decentralized and it has to be independent, which means that the code is just the instructions. It's like the DNA of a person. And like, so if our goal is to get a person is to have a human being who can cut down a tree for us, if that's our utility that we're trying to get to, you might have the exact same instructions in a full grown man who has an ax and then a baby who is still in the womb. But the full grown man is the only one that can cut down the tree for us. Like the other one is competing with the full grown man for the same job. It's not just a network effect. It actually develops as money through a pro through a very long process. So trying to copy the code base and create an alternative money is the equivalent of being like, uh, my guy is going to cut down the tree way faster than you. And here, here, it, here he is in the womb. Don't you want to, don't you want to get him to cut down the tree for you? Right. And, and it's just, there's so many different aspects to it, but that's one that I, I kind of think illustrates one of the major issues is that money is really a maturation process and particularly with the network and gaining independence and security. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And you know, there's always lots of talk about, um, it, you know, issuing new tokens and the process of doing that and pre-mine and, you know, whatever. And, you know, it brings to mind the, the quote by, was it Hayek who said, you know, the only solution is going to come about in some sort of a sly roundabout way? Was that Hayek? I, I'm pretty sure that was Hayek, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he, it would have been, in, it, that was so prescient and, you know, just brilliant. Oh, and, I know. And it just adds to the, the Bitcoin lore because it's absolutely perfect. Um, the, the only cherry on the top of that would be if he said, but it will only happen once, you know, because once that sly yeah. roundabout way is, is done once, it's no longer going to be sly and roundabout. So no, you yeah. know, that can't happen again now because it'll be gamed and co-opted and all the rest of it right from the get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing about, um, like Bitcoin did not, there was no price for Bitcoin. Like, like. You can't copy Bitcoin today and get the same sort of distribution. Um, not possible. Uh, yeah. I guess it's independence might not be the word, but um, the lack of conflict of interest in the people who were developing and, uh, you, you know, like Satoshi was Satoshi, how like everybody early on that was in Bitcoin 
again, it, it was the price was zero for like a year and a half. You know, like it was clearly they were just there to design money, a better system where basically anybody who tries to copy it today can't can't get away with that. Like no. it's just not going to happen. It's going to immediately pull a price. It's going to immediately be, oh, I'm look at the the opportunity for greed and profit like that I'm going to pull from this and the attempt of trying to make some sort of uh, kind of independent or um, objective system in this atmosphere, like after Bitcoin has been invented, like you're right. It just, it just seems almost silly. Like it's just not, it's not possible at this point. Yeah. And it's just another one of those many, many elements about Bitcoin that make, makes it so, so, so like gives it that kind of mythical allure that, you know, and there's so mm -hmm. many elements of that, but you know, the one is, is that it was launched by this like benevolent anonymous creator. He and a small group of people who worked on it without compensation, you know, because out of idealistic, uh, you know, for idealistic reasons and stuff when nobody was looking, when nobody thought this was possible and that gave it the necessary oxygen and breathing room it needed to survive in the early days. Because had, you know, had yeah. anybody thought like, well, this is going to supplant the existing system, then of course there would have been <laughs> pushback or anything like that or people trying to take advantage. But, you know, and then obviously Satoshi disappears. I mean, it's like you couldn't make this stuff up. You know, it's, it's like no, not even a movie has a better like origin story and just all the ways that it's like grown since then. It's That's one of the... the conviction inspiring aspects of it for me which may be silly because you want to be looking at hard details and technology and and more rational stuff but like i can't escape the fact that all of these like uh, you know all, all of these kind of mythical attributes of of its origin just makes me think like this has to be real like this, has, <laughs> this, this is how this thing would emerge you know We've talked about it a lot in the Raleigh Bitcoin uh, a meetup podcast that we do um, that like everybody it, it, it's funny how often that comes up is just that like you could not write fiction that's that like it just has such a and, and you say like you know we want to be objective we want to think about the code and we want to like but people are captured by stories yeah. like like a fascinating and powerful story is what grabs people. And Bitcoin could not have a more fascinating and more powerful story behind it. And so much of that is in this completely anonymous mythical character that created it and then just stepped away who never cashed out billions of dollars worth of coins. Um, and it just – it does. It seems so uh, – Faithful, like it seems so like right had to be that way exactly um and exactly. it's hard to believe that it's a true story that ended up being so perfectly cinematic in that way <laughs> yeah exactly like you you can already hear in the classrooms or however people are educated 50 years from now this being told and and everyone in the classroom being like yeah that, so, uh, <laughs> exactly like yeah that sounds totally <laughs> legit you know how else could it happen um, but yeah, so let's fast forward or, or bring it up to current date. And before I do that, just one last question about your history in this place. You mentioned the hype, the tops of the hype cycles, right? And, and kind of despite mm -hmm. your more rational, logical mind, well, that kind of gets thrown out the window a little bit, right? And we, we think now is hyper Bitcoinization. It's actually happening. You know, 
this is this isn't irrational. This is it's happening now, you know. And so December 2017, I'm sure we all, to varying degrees, perhaps we're all like, "Holy shit, cat's out of the bag. The world's taking notice. This is going to happen tomorrow. Everything's about to change." And then yep. a month later, you're like, "Oh no, <laughs> what happened?" <laughs> so so my question for you is, having gone through a couple of them in December uh-huh. 2017. Did you think this was the moment or did you just think this is another hype cycle and we're, and we're going to go down? And if you thought the latter, did you trade it? And if so, how? Um, I, uh, I did not trade it like I hope to on the next one. Um, I was not prepared. And uh, I do intend to not really trade, um, but to sink when, when it's like, it, when there's a life-changing amount of money, like I intend to park it somewhere. If if we go two to three x the stock to flow ratio, that that's what I think I'm going to use as my barometer next time around because we didn't really have that as a good model on the previous run. Mm-hmm. As far as like my thoughts on it, um, uh, I think it's so hard to call. Like like you know when it was when it went up to five thousand, it was like Ooh, this might be the top. And then it went up again, hit 10,000. Then it crashed back down for just a little bit. Like every one of them feels like it could just be a minor crash and another run after 20,000. I I seriously thought we were going to go to 35 or 40 before it was going to be over. Um, so I didn't make any decisions there. And then you've got like a week to really like make that decision before you're all the way on the way down and then you're just feeling the pain and you're like, do I sell? Do I buy? What do I do? <laughs> and uh, so it's so hard to time the market and I try to just stay away from it. Yeah. I, I, I got punished in the altcoin casino um, and had to pay taxes on it. So it's like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> um, and so I, I don't really want to... I've kind of stepped away from that. I still want to kind of get, I want to just get good at seeing the gradual trends, like kind of those long-term swings. So I'll probably play like just a little bit of money just to see if I can kind of get a feel for the cycle. Um, but, uh, no, I was, I was half and half. I was like, okay, maybe I should put some money in something. And then the other half of me was like, nope, this is it. We're done. This is the moon. Uh, let me get my. Uh, let me start getting my space suit on. I haven't. And, I haven't ordered my oxygen tanks yet. <laughs> but you know, the crazy and, thing uh, is, is what you know. The next top, you know, I'm. I'm it's probably going to be crazier than we all even think it is now. So if we're everyone's thinking mm-hmm. like one to one to three hundred k, maybe it's going to be five plus. Yeah. Who, like who knows? Who but, knows? But to who me, knows? it's just like. It's such a predict. It seems to be the way that Bitcoin grows, right? These kind of boom and bust mm-hmm. cycles. And I don't know if that'll always be the case, or just until we reach a certain mass, economic mass or level. But it's like it's so tempting because these these tops and the subsequent drop offs just. And I, I think I'm not. I, you know, I think not trading is the best approach 99% of the time. But if you have these like super predictable uh, instances where you could you know, you know, 30% your stack, you know, add 30% of your, your, mm-hmm. your coins to your mm-hmm. existing stack or something like that. It's like, 
there's got to be a smart way, like a methodical, non-emotional way to capitalize on that, you know? And so I'm starting yeah. to ask more people yeah. about it now because, you know, whether it's coming in two years, three years, like I'd like to be more prepared than I was last time, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And what's funny is if I had looked at it, if I had really kind of stepped back from the emotion of the 2017 bubble. So hard though. But yeah, I so hard, so hard. Um, I know I could have objectively seen it and I really kind of was looking at the indicators that were like, this is overbought. But I was trying to compare it back to 2013 and call like when the very top was going to be. And I remember that there was like a hundred percent move within the within a day. Like it was like on uh, particularly on Mount Mount Gox, which, you know, got insane. But or maybe it was like 70 or 80% or something, but it was a huge swing within the day. And even on like those huge candles, we didn't have a candle close. I think it was like 30% or 40% or something um, at the at the top. So I thought we would have one more run. That was kind of what led me to think that maybe we would go to 30 or 40 from here. Yeah. And I didn't really count, take in or factor in the fact that we were going to have with the greater liquidity, the likelihood of that sort of move was going to continue to diminish, yeah. you know, like we were going to get less volatility at these major um, peaks. And, but the fact that I know so many who are in the same position as you and I trying to better prepare for the next one, it makes me think that it's going to be, uh, the spring is going to be loaded even more intensely on the next run because we'll have these little gradual backups that people are like, okay, this is the top. Let me get, let me buy this commercial property or like, let me cash out this amount so I can add 30% to my stack. And then it, and then it takes a break for just a little bit. It's like, okay, good. I called the top. And then we do a whole nother run and everybody's like, Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> so like it could end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy where the, opposite happens where we exaggerate it yet again right because everybody is trying to call the top and then you know sure. failing but my, my opinion on that is well first i think there probably was many of those people in 2017 it just wasn't us mm -hmm. we were the perhaps the suckers <laughs> or whatever but i think the next you know because coinciding with the bubble is a tremendous amount of new money entering the space right so like whether that new money is like an institutional rush or, you know, kind of reigniting the retail rush or whatever it turns out to be, they'll be less prepared. This is, it's more new territory for them. So I think myself and you and like people that have been in the space and planning for this, probably like we think like, whoa, if we talk about it and everybody does it, it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think yeah. the scale of the, the, like the, rushing into it will be such that whatever we're doing is probably not gonna you know gonna we're not, not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by making those plans and the, the flip side of that is like what if it was you just took a super conservative approach like because so let's let's say in 2017 you got out at 10 and then you saw it double to there to go to 20 you'd be like oh shit but but if you played it properly on the downturn, you still would have done tremendously well getting out at 10 and then reaccumulating even at six, five True. or six, you know? So yeah. it, it's really hard to not be overly greedy, but let, if you just took a super conservative approach and said the next top, I want to increase my stack by like 
You know, that's a give mm-hmm. me margin of error on both sides. Like, I'd like to think I could pull it off, but I, I, I haven't, I haven't put down the strategy yet. And so that's why I'm asking you, and I'm going to be talking to people about it in the next, you know, in the upcoming months, uh, because I wouldn't mind having like a good non-emotional strategy in place that I can just pull the trigger on when, when the time comes and the indicator suggests it and not with everything, of course, but whatever you're willing mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, play with. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope, uh, hope so. And, you, and you're probably right, like with the whole, uh, like, I want to think that like, oh, man, like it might be a self-fulfilling prophecy and we'll have everybody doing it. But there's so much like you, you forget to think about like what you know is not what everyone else knows. Exactly. Um, like we were just talking about last night at the, the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup um, that it, we were talking about the, the guy who was investing in silver. And he was like, he did not even know about the stock to flow ratio. Like, I'm just like, ah, like silver (laughs) is an old investment. And uh, like, like it's been around forever. And they were just looking at the gold to silver ratio, not the fact that silver can, as soon as silver price increases, they're going to ramp up production. They can double, triple production in the market. If there's, if there's room in the silver price to do it, like there's hardly any cap on that anymore, except for the market price that drives people into that. So it'll just come crashing back down. And now I just don't think about it. It's like, Oh, well no, I would never like, this would be like when I cash out because gold is not, the flow cannot adjust that quickly. Silver can. And like, so like you you just kind of get used to thinking that what I've learned is not, not special. Like, like it's, it's information that everybody is fully aware of. And it's like, well, no, that is not the case at all. I could have made the exact same claim in 2017 because I was kind of thinking the same way. I just really didn't have the courage to pull the trigger. But, yeah, so. and or, or you could have made that claim in 2011 when you first got into Bitcoin. And, and you know, we mentioned mm-hmm. reasons why uh, I didn't get in when I first encountered it. And I do think it was partially that, like, there's no way that I could have unique perception and insight and have stumbled on something so important little old me like and you know (laughs) and it's not that i i wasn't a confident person but i guess in that regard i just thought there's no way i could have stumbled on something that one is going to make me filthy rich and two is going to be this like global revolution once in a species event like i didn't just because i'm a smart person happen on it and because i i thought that way that that probably contributed to it right so i think Mm -hmm. you know as you said, we often think that if we know it, everybody else must know it. And that kind of perverts how we might be thinking about something. When the case is, it's like you and I and many people listening to this podcast are like balls deep in this space, right? We, we read, <laughs> so especially, especially you, you read every goddamn article there is, right? And, <laughs> and many of us stay up to date by Twitter and podcasts and stuff. And like, your average person, even if they believe in Bitcoin and think it's really cool and think it is the future of the monetary system, they have like most of their day is filled up with family and job and gym and all this kind of stuff. Like they ain't yeah. familiar. They ain't deep as we are, you know, so there's yeah. going to be an, an information asymmetry there. And that's I guess that's what we're talking about. It's like we got to believe that we actually have that and we got to work to establish it by staying informed. And then mm-hmm. we should, you know, we should probably try to capitalize on it to some degree. Yeah. And what's funny is that like if the more we actually speculate based on that real knowledge, the like we as speculators would be 
creating the uh, like tempering the overbought or the undersold or the overbought or the oversold nature of the market. Like we would be the price stabilizers because we, we would be like, OK, it is three X the stock to flow <laughs> right now. Right now we need selling pressure. Let's let's capitalize on this and bring the price back down so the you know, it doesn't get too out of control. Like we would be the pressure that's bringing us back to that that equilibrium, yeah. uh, which is funny. Like, so the more people that actually do it, it's, it's a, it's a market surface service in a sense of yeah, yeah. You know, and, finding that real price. And let's not, let's not kid ourselves, man. The, they're, you know, the OGs in the space and the people that knew what they were at in December, 20, 2017, they were, they were doing what we just described. Like that's why oh, yeah. the market <clears throat> probably turned that way is because mm-hmm. they, they were all playing it with more, intelligence more information more emotional stability more preparation than everybody else so everybody else was hoping that this was going to 40 60 70 you know moon and they were like nope this is where we're putting you know this is where we're drawing the line for this 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 particular uh cycle you know so yeah i should have listened to trace mayer uh he would publish his uh, mayor multiple thing and he'd be like Ooh, we're way overbought right now yeah we're we're running hot and he'd be like nah we're going to the moon <laughs> You don't know what you're talking about, Trace. <laughs> you don't even know how revolutions work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a great example. Like whether some combination of mayor multiple and a lot of the other interest, the stock to flow model and, and a couple of the other things that have come out relatively recently that that show trajectories and potential highs and lows and price ranges and stuff like mash all that together. Let it spit out like a, a you know, conservative range and and you know try to capitalize in any case uh moving on (laughs) because we could talk about that for a while uh what's uh you know you're so like like we just said you were we're so deep in the space and you in particular because of your podcast you you consume so much of this material and then not only dictate it but then you know put it through your own uh meat grinder and digest it and comment on it what new information what new perspectives what exciting pieces of uh you know information knowledge wisdom around bitcoin have you gained recently that you know has expanded your understanding of it i think one of the things that i've started to a different way i've started to think about bitcoin is that um like because it is the money like it it, it was one of those things to come to terms. Like I really had to get my head around the idea of how Bitcoin would work as a settlement system, that it was going to be that base layer. And I have constantly worked back through like what I know about internet protocols and TCP IP and HTTP and how these things built layers to eventually give us to the application stage where what was essentially an incredibly annoying and long process of I mean, there's so much that goes on when, you know, like just just like when that router went out just a little while ago and the power blinked out is how much has to happen to establish a connection, find routes to like where we're going. There's a massive amount of stuff happening in the background. But under underneath it all is the core of the Internet, which is TCP IP. And it's like 400 megabytes or something like that. It's the it is the entire table of ip addresses on the internet and that is that is what everything leans on everything is layers built on top of that so bitcoin as a settlement layer 
I have begun to think about it more, and I love the analogy of it as a court system. We don't sign, we don't have a judge sign a receipt every time we go to Starbucks. We don't need a judge to sign a receipt every time we go to Starbucks. It's not that important. So, but if we can attach it, if we can extend the power of a single Bitcoin contract into thousands of transactions with layers, um, we can create all of those payment systems and all of those things in an incredibly lightweight and robust underlying layer, just like TCPIP, which is very small. And uh, so I've, I've come to realize that I, th I think in the not too distant future, the idea of a single person owning a UTXO will become more and more rare. Um, that we will have in, like layer, like hierarchical layers of uh, ownership of a single UTXO. They will be broken into you know multiple contracts on top of each other, and the main function of a Bitcoin transaction will be in order to set up network connections like financial network connections between participants on this, in this ecosystem. So it will be for building liquidity for some other like off chain or uh, just like a lightning contract. Um, and I think that's kind of how this is going to uh, expand out to accommodate for millions, even billions of people. Yeah, that's uh and that's a relative, when did that kind of, when did you start thinking this way? Was it since kind of the introduction of lightning or is it even more recent? Um, it was probably, it was really when I started to dig into lightning. Um, Aaron Von Wertham's, uh, Aaron Van Veerdum, I've been calling him Von Wertham forever. And then I had him on the show and he was like, yes, it's Van Veerdum or whatever. He's like, that's close. And I was like, oh God, I've been saying it wrong forever. Um, <laughs> uh, his series um the Lightning Network, understanding the Lightning Network. It was like a three-part series. That was a major breakthrough in understanding how that contract worked. And I kind of had a second aha moment. Like the Lightning Network was immediately as fascinating to me as Bitcoin was originally. Like there was just so many different aspects to dig into. And the idea of like a built-in reserve and insurance contract and then a punishment clause when things go wrong like the whole how that how that contract branched was so fascinating when i finally wrapped my head around it and i love that series um and i tried to do a follow-up to like kind of give a couple of analogies to make it easy to picture in your head not sure how well i did a couple people have told me that uh that they that really helped them um but uh that was really the beginning of it, but it was probably only like six months ago that I was like, wow, Bitcoin is really going to be a foundation layer for capital markets. And the average user is probably going to hold an extended piece of a contract that they own and they can take to court. They can take to the Bitcoin network, which will be the, the financial arbiter of everything that goes on, the ultimate decider of who owns what in the network. And in the case of a dispute, we will go to the Bitcoin network and be like, prove that I have this part of this Merkle tree that says I own this amount of coin and I have to pay the court fee, quote unquote, in order to settle with somebody that I'm disputing. And I'm the final owner, but the rest of the network, the bulk of the network will be used to set up capital markets 
that allow for these incredible applications like payment networks and um, even tokens and gift cards and all kinds of things attached to the value of Bitcoin. That's amazing, man. You know, when, when you're speaking just now, it makes me think of, you know, I ask, as, again, as part of the, um, the rapid-fire questions, and it's, maybe it's a bit unfair to include it there, um, but it's a common question <laughs> to say to p- people ask or that you try to explain to people what is Bitcoin, right? Of course, it's this new thing. It's getting lots of hype, so there's going to be a lot of people Googling, asking their friend, what have you, what is Bitcoin? And, man, what is the answer to that question? Because the narratives that, that continue to emerge around it as, it, as the tech develops, as layers are, are developed on top of it, and even, as, even if it doesn't change, but it's seen to be more than it was originally seen to be as time goes on, it's like, that's a really tough question to answer. What is Bitcoin? I think of it as, um, like, like if I had to sum it up in like a sentence, I think it's a digital property uh, like ledger, like an ownership layer for digital value on the internet. And, uh, like that's something that the internet, I think Bitcoin is like stage two of the internet. Right. And I think just like, like you don't download an app that isn't connected to the internet. We don't, we don't communicate. We don't have media that isn't connected to the internet. Like that's what, that's what an app is. All of this software, all this technology, you get it from an app store from the internet. Right. Everything is tied back to the internet in that same way. I think finance and value will be tied to Bitcoin Um, and it will be layers upon layers on extensions and um, you won't be holding real value in the digital world if it's not a contract that can be um, executed on the Bitcoin network. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I agree. And it's just so fascinating that, you know, of course you have to cater your message to your audience, right? So if you're speaking to someone who's, you're, they're just going to gloss over entirely if you start talking about lightning network and contracts and, fi- and you know, oh, legal yeah. arbiters and stuff. So you have to go with, it's digital gold. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's programmed to be scarce. It's infinitely scarce when, when it's fully issued, blah, 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 that whole old narrative. Maybe for people that are a bit more sophisticated, you can actually kind of be like, well... It's a bit more. It's a bit more than that as well. So how much time do you have? But it's just that I, I'm sure that's one of the frustrating things um, that I'm sure everybody encounters. It's like when they have to answer that question, or if someone presses them like, "Man, this is just bullshit." Like, what, what Bitcoin, anyways? It's like, where where do I start? You know, how do how do yeah, I no. talk about this? And it's and it's it's always changing. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to nail down. Yeah, it's it's so hard to portray. There's so many different facets to right. get to that end statement of, okay, it's a digital property layer exactly. for the internet. Exactly. Um, that if you just say that to somebody who doesn't know, I mean, I was having a conversation the other day, the other day with somebody who was sort of familiar with Bitcoin and it just struck me like we were in the conversation and I was saying something about, so when the next having happens and blah, 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 blah. And then they were like, uh, what's, what's a having? And I was like, <laughs> Oh man, Oh, so far, so far. Okay, let me step this back. Have you have you been following any? I've been talking for like an hour. I feel like I've been seven layers out of the scope of what was a reasonable conversation here. And 
so like it's so there's so many things to build a foundation for understanding what it means when i say it is a digital property layer for the internet so yeah yeah that is a never-ending task and what's interesting and what i wonder how it's going to play out is like when we talk about the internet today right and you talk about tcp ip and this kind of stuff and like most people don't know anything about that. They, if you ask them what the internet was, they'd say like it's a global information transfer system, something like mm-hmm. that, right? And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where the limits of the intellectual understanding of Bitcoin stop when it reaches a mainstream. So the mainstream may in the future say Bitcoin is you know electronic value transfer, digital gold over uh, you know information networks or some, something like that. Mm-hmm. And all the things that you just described that will ultimately power, you know, all these different elements of the financial system, that'll be way above their pay grade. It'll just work as the internet works for Netflix today and they won't think about it. Yeah. You know, so there'll be, maybe it'll be like the, narr- the, the mainstream narrative will, will reach like, a, a, like an apex, like you'll reach a limit and then everything else will be, just be too technical, but it'll, it'll, it'll facilitate all the different functions that everyone will be using day to day in their lives. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it. Uh, it's funny because like the history of the Internet and the you know, early protocol wars for um, like open source and like competing Internet protocols that happened back in the day, like all of that, I felt like gave me such insight into Bitcoin and then studying also like the peer to peer um, networks and protocols that were out like why did BitTorrent survive when so many of those others didn't that's another one of my favorite series um there's a, a lessons from BitTorrent or BitTorrent lessons or something like that one, by, of, um, one of yours uh yeah I've read it on the show it's by Simon Morris um he worked at uh, BitTorrent Incorporated and uh, for like 10 years uh, and he kind of talks about the history and he like establishes a couple of rules for like what what survives in decentralization like you have to be breaking a rule um that is that is the purpose of decentralization is you have to be breaking some rule that people can't get around otherwise um, that's you know obviously piracy for BitTorrent um and uh like minimum viable de- decentralization don't try to decentralize everything decentralize the the core function of it and leave everything else to the next layers or uh, to like, like we didn't have to decentralize the pirate bay. It just worked. It was resilient enough that we could keep putting it up and we have alternatives, uh, torrent indexes and all this stuff. Uh, but it's a great series on kind of understanding um, what exactly, how exactly these protocols evolve and survive and why. And that is not something that is well understood. Like yeah. just like just like you said, most people have no idea how the internet came about. They have no idea that it was really around for twenty years before Netscape. That you know, nineteen ninety five was it, the first web browser is only twenty four years old. Everything that we think of as part of the internet is less than twenty five years, and that was when the browser was created, not when it was mainstream. That was when it first arrived on the scene. Everything else after that is like a handful of the biggest companies in the world are nine years old. You know, That's crazy. That is so crazy. I mean, I, I, I mentioned this probably too often. So people that listen to this show are probably, you know, getting sick and tired of me saying it. But, I, you know, 
I always wonder like why more people um, don't challenge the status quo, don't see how things, how fast things are changing and moving in, in whatever mm-hmm. capacity. Um, and I always say like, all you got to do is zoom out of a little bit and you'll see how fast that things are actually happening, whether it's changing for the, the for bad or for good. And, you know, yeah. so, something like, and, and we're in a period now where it's almost like you don't even have to zoom out that much anymore. You know, in our, in our remote history, you'd have to zoom out 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years to observe change, especially in the ancient world. Now, mm-hmm. you know, like you just said, you zoom out 10 years and there's no apps, there's no smartphone, there's no nope. any of that stuff. And now it's literally the core of our world and the largest companies in the world are the ones that, uh, you know, brought that technology to the mainstream effectively. Apple, Google, Facebook, yeah. this kind of stuff. We still, I think, as Bitcoiners think, like, no, nobody knows when this is going to pop and hyper-Bitcoinization will be here and all that kind of stuff. But, damn, man, it could could very well, ha- you know, I think we're all conservative so that we don't get, like, emotionally crushed if it doesn't, you know, happen on our timeline and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And we, we want to be conservative for other reasons as well. But maybe 10 years from now, this is all like a fait accompli, you know, it's, and people are just like, well, I, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know? I can't help but think like like we kind of we really kind of went into the same conversation last night at the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup um, was that we were talking about like time scales of like how quickly this was going to happen. And I couldn't I can't get around the fact like I want to be reserved. I want to be like, OK, 30 years, 40 years makes the most sense for really making huge structural like foundational changes to what we think of as the system that is running things. Cause I think Bitcoin is attacking at the foundation. I, I really think it is a bottom up restructuring of the whole thing. Great. And, um, it's so hard to look at it objectively because it feels like my objective answer is always a much, much shorter time period. But I always kind of feel like maybe I'm just crazy, psychotic, bullish. And, you know, that's what's leading me to this conclusion. But I think in th- in nine years, I can't, I can't remember who it was like Dare Gigi or somebody was actually pointing this out on Twitter. And I saw this. I was like, man, was that in nine years, we will in the next nine years, we will have three halvings in nine years. And in this next one, we are going to be competing with gold in the one that's 248 days away or something. And we are going to be hitting very close to gold's stock to flow ratio. And then in the one following that, it's going to wipe it out um, because we'll reach parity with gold stock to flow sometime in that period, but just because of the constant inflation during the, those four years. I mean, I think we'll actually cross sometime like a year before that next having. Then we'll hit 2024. Then we'll hit 2028. It is going to be the hardest asset that has ever existed in the history of the world. Like, like hands down, like nothing, no, not even a close comparison. All the car, everything's off the table. Like we have no idea how fast or how powerful an asset like that can soak up wealth from the competing monies around the world. Especially when you attach all the functionality that it has. It's not just a better gold. 
it's you know, it's also it's, an ecosystem. Right, it's a whole right. capital markets. It's right, crazy. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, it's like, who the hell knows? You know, did anybody think? Can you imagine when it was launched in uh, 2009, Satoshi and Hal and the rest of the gang? You think they'd be like, yeah, in 10 years, the president will probably be talking about this. It's like, <laughs> maybe they, maybe because some of those guys were pretty darn like you know uh, had pretty great foresight, but. You know, that's, that's a bit of a stretch, you know, and to give it another 10 years from, from this point where it's like, yeah, man, you know, and you know how they say, you know, first slowly, then all at once, I mean, could, could yeah. be a trickle for another five years and then everyone, it becomes obvious. It's like, well, yeah, of course I, you know, of course that's the system. Duh. <laughs> oh yeah. This is, it's Bitcoin though, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'm gonna uh, break into the rapid fire questions. Just before I do, though, okay. I can't resist asking you about a tweet, just because it's one of the many elements um, of current global culture and society that I just boggles my mind. Uh, and you shared a now this video uh, on Twitter, I think t today, and it was uh, this. I'm sure you know, compassionate, lovely young woman, uh, basically speaking for a fairly long amount. Of time. I think it was like a five minute video on, um, mm -hmm. how we should no longer be using the term guys because, you know, it's a form of, uh, cognitive oppression and all, all the, all the rest of it. Just want you to, <laughs> want you to expand on that tweet. <laughs> If that's what we are spending our time complaining about, then we better have solved every other problem in existence. Like if we're worried about like, like we are in control of our own feelings. Like it is our responsibility how we respond to other, other people and other stuff. Like I don't, if somebody calls me stupid, it is my fault if I'm offended by that because I should not value their, their opinion of me. They don't know me. And like, I don't, I don't care who they are. Like, it is my obligation to be in control of myself and be like, all right, like I can deal with that. Right. Like grow a thick skin. And, and I think we're going through this crazy cultural transition with the internet where, um, like we're just kind of coming to terms with the fact that we can hear each other. Like that we have always been isolated in our little local communities and we've shared our own social norms and I think the internet is changing that in a massive way. We're just so connected now in a way that we never have been before that we're having to come to terms with. It's like one giant organism realizing that, oh, my God, we think bad thoughts. And <laughs> uh, so there's this huge clash as we kind of get into each other's heads and realize we don't all agree on everything. And it's like it's just a maturation process. And I mostly think it's comical. The outrage culture is, I really think an ex it's an exaggeration of what it actually is. Like, I think there is a lot of now this that just thought, ooh, people are going to retweet and talk sure, about how sure. insane this is. You know, like it's, it's that grab people's attention. Click people bait, love financially to be, driven. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I, I mostly, I don't let it get to me. Um, right. And I love hey guys. I'm never gonna stop saying hey guys. Like guys is my favorite <laughs> word. <laughs> and, yeah, but it's just it's absurd. But it's absurd, but it's it's a little fun at the same time. It, it's totally absurd, and I agree 100 percent with everything you said. But it it is one of those weird 
like of course you know we're going to see disruption on so many levels for for all the different mm-hmm. converging technologies and you know people like to say disruption as like a buzzword if you're trying to raise money or whatever but like disruption is actually an uncomfortable thing usually it's not like yay mm-hmm. we're going to be disrupted it's like no like you're going to be made to be uncomfortable for a while because this is going to change a lot of the things that you've come to rely on come to understand yeah. the ways you perceive things and uh you know so as you said it's probably to be expected when the world comes online as a super brain and we all get to interact with each other and we all get to see what we're thinking and see what we're wearing and see where we're eating and see who we're hanging out with. Like, it's like, yeah. whoa, like this is a totally way more information than we, we yeah. ever thought we would have on each other, again, even only 10 years ago. So yeah, it's going to take mm-hmm. some, some, some wrestling with to see how to, to deal with it. The only thing is, I find it funny too, but it's like, it is a bit all, you're right. These these media companies are motivated to put out stuff that they know will get engagement. And there's almost nothing that it, that gets people's engagement more than giving them an outlet to be upset, right? This mm-hmm. this outrage thing. People want to sh- sh- you know be upset and tell people they're upset and prove their point. And that's how you you know. And so it's their financial incentive is in getting people to to act that way. Mm-hmm. You know, my only you know and that's fine fuck it like like you said it's your responsibility to not be triggered not be engaged by that stuff and i, I certainly am not I, I i you know i find it funny but so many people seem to be that like i'm just concerned that it's not only is it responding to a, like a small element of the culture but it's also creating culture at the at the same time and you know i i think it it it, it could easily have detrimental effects and that's why i think this personal sovereignty this individual sovereignty movement that is is occurring now with kind of bitcoin as a fo- one of the focal points is so important because that oh, yeah. wrapped up in that whole movement is as you said like your rights are your responsibility and it's also your responsibility how you respond to people that you communicate with or to people that are interacting with you it's your response you know it's it's your fucking responsibility stop putting it out on the world and telling other people they have to change for you that's not how it works yeah. you change no. however you want to change you take your responsibility you make sure you're sovereign and that people can't lean on you and that's how the world will function optimally you know exactly exactly like it is not anyone else's obligation to change what they think or what they say or the shirt that they are wearing to make you comfortable with yourself exactly. like like that's your job and i think it's also a consequence of we have a huge it's really just like a collective identity crisis <clears throat> and i think i think it's a transition um, like, like you said, 10 years ago, we didn't have, we had no cameras or microphones in our pockets. We had no, there was no app to share what I'm doing and eating right now and what I'm thinking and what, like have this ongoing every second conversation with thousands of people of exactly our first response to some stupid thing that we see on the internet or something that some politician says. But, um, I, I think, I think it looks like there are negative consequences, but I think getting it out in the open is an incredibly important part of figuring out who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's inevitably going to be messy. Like when you figure out, like I, I think back just in the trying to have like a collective analogy to something that I've gone through in my own life. Like when I've had major shifts in how I think about the world or like 
my, my Overton window of what's possible. I mean, Bitcoin was a huge part of that. Um, I went through a couple of political shifts, like from essentially like very socially, like almost Democrat liberal in high school to, but still like kind of a flag waving Republican to just abandoning the whole thing altogether. Like those were not easy transitions. It was very painful. Like I have had moments where I was incredibly sad. I felt like I had lost something okay. that I thought of was part of me. And it just wasn't fun. It was, like it was enlightening and insane. And I love it when I look back on it. But it was messy and it hurt. And I think part of what we're doing is going through that at a massive scale. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people in our current system and um, with kind of the huge debt bubble and the horrible incentives we've had from an economic um, standpoint that so many people feel like they have no control over anything in yeah. their lives. I think that's why we have a suicide epidemic um, is just that people feel like they are completely at the whim of everyone else as to what the conditions of their life are. And uh, I think Bitcoin is a massive part of solving that problem because I think so much of it actually stems from horrible economic foundations. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think it's a process. I, I think that's extremely well put. I, I think that the, the, the economic and financial incentives that we've had in place as a result of the structures in the existing system have uh, created or at the very least uh, fostered a lot of this, the, the more negative behaviors we're seeing. And again, this is another thing that I've talked about with a number of the initial guests on the show is just that for so many of us, I mean, again, I don't think I've spoken with anybody yet who hasn't kind of echoed this. It's that you come out into the world and when, whenever you have that kind of pierce the veil moment where you start to see the world as, you know, not as like when you were a kid and, oh, the world is so great and it's always going to be great and sunny days and swimming pools and ice cream and you realize like, ooh, the, world, the world's got some dark corners and, my, and I have some dark corners um, and how am I going to navigate that and it's, it's, it's causing me to contract or be fearful or, you know, the uncertainty is crippling or whatever it might be the the emergence and you look out on the world and you study all this stuff you, you study the financial system the banking system the pharmaceutical lobby and the all this kind of stuff and uh and you, you you have that hopeless feeling and bitcoin is there now and again for anyone who's listening who's not really in the weeds like you and i they'll probably think like we're we're, we're, we're taking a bit too what much license about? with with this analogy <laughs> but for the for the people that understand this thing the most that i've spoken to you know unanimously agree that it was a source of light and it and it started to give them hope that this ship could get turned around and started to give them more hopeful thoughts for a brighter future and like as you said in a, in a society and culture globally today where suicide and, and depression and things of that nature are are at epidemic levels and you know rising rapidly what's more important than something like that that can make people see things in a more hopeful manner i mean it's it's fucking yeah. it's, it's incredible and one of the reasons why we should try to be pushed this thing ahead you know as quickly as possible yeah yeah i totally agree anyways man thank you very much again um it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, i'm sure I'll, I'll probably nag you and not even you know less than six months to have another chat and you can you can you can uh, update me on all the things that are going on in your world and uh yeah if we can just uh, enjoy the subject matter together so thanks again and uh, awesome. i wish wish you all the best yeah, dude, thank you so much for having me on the show. This was, this was wonderful. We'll definitely do it again. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. You too, man. See ya.